Okay, I know it's really old, but there is a reason why I just showed that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, can, you can either love or hate Nicolas Cage, you can love or hate the movie, um, but the reason I, I showed this to you guys, let me just ask you this, who in here envisions their Bible study like that? Right? That would be really cool. That would be awesome if you could think of the Bible. Okay, so, so it, was, it was a toss-up between showing National Treasure or um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I really like Indiana Jones, but this one lined up a little bit better with what we're talking about tonight. And the reason I want to start off with that is that, that I think that if we really understood what Bible study was... I think that if we really understood that Bible study wasn't this like, it didn't have to be this stoic like, okay, I gotta have this devotional time and be in, in a Zen mode in order to enter into God's Word, that we, we might, I mean, obviously we aren't National Treasure Nicholas Cage running around like putting lemon juice on the back of the, um, the Declaration of Independence. But, what I like about these movies, and I think that one of the reasons that we like these movies as a culture, is the mystery and the courage that it takes for that person to, to embark on a quest that people look at and say, that's ridiculous. And then as they embark on the quest, they find clues and they find new information that continues to just unravel this, this mysterious story in front of them. And they, they get deeper and deeper and deeper into that story until they find what they're looking for. And so when we're, when we're entering into Scripture, it's very much the same thing. 
Now, I know that we aren't like Nicolas Cage running around Washington, D.C. trying to find a treasure, but we are plummeting into the depths of God's Word. We are, we are learning about, don't, don't miss this, we are learning about cultures, mysterious things that are in the Bible that you would look at and read and be like, what in the world? Like, like these beasts with these, these crazy like eyes all around them, like, like, like we see these strange rituals in the Old Testament that we look at and we're like, okay, don't, don't wear a cloth that's made of two different fabrics. And like, we're, we're looking at these things and we're like, okay, there's got to be a purpose to this, but I don't have all the information. I, I, I can't understand this because that's a culture that's removed from me thousands of years, multiple thousands of years for the Old Testament. And so we enter into the Bible and oftentimes we, we look at it like it's dead. Like it's like just words on a page, like it's a textbook and we're just perusing through it for facts and just things that like that we're supposed to do or not do as Christians. But in reality, we are invited into that story. You are invited into that story. There is a story that God has been writing since the beginning of time and continue to, to use human beings throughout history to bring us this book sitting in front of us that we talked about last week about how that journey like went through all sorts of trials and tribulations and that there were people that laid down their lives so that you could have a written English Bible in front of you. And, and so we have the written Word of God. We saw in 2 Timothy 3.16 last week that it is God-inspired, that it's good for, for teaching and correcting, and that, that as we read the Word of God, that there's something that happens within us because it's not like any other book, because it's the living words of God. So He's inviting us into that. But who in here has ever read the Bible or read parts of the Bible and were just completely confused? Okay, so everybody in here... Well, Ryan... Ryan back there, he's, he's not confused. Okay, Ryan's confused. Okay, good. Okay, so if Ryan's confused, we're good. We're good. So, so we read these things and we read these strange passages and a lot of times what we choose to do instead of wrestling with them is just say, eh, you know, that's just weird. That's why I don't read the Bible. It's boring. It doesn't really connect with my life and so forth and so forth and so forth. And then we make excuses. And then what we want is to come here, look at me. And then you want me to digest it for you and put it into little pill sizes for you to take. And you think that's enough. Listen, I was in your shoes. Like, like back when I was in your shoes, I honestly, like I wanted to have a desire to read the Bible, but like it was so much easier to just go and listen to Chris Madison teach instead of me actually wrestling, digesting the Word of God. Because it calls something out in us. Not just calling us to a different way of life, but the pure study of God's Word is not easy. And so most often in our culture, we just want, hey, just give me the microwave version, man. Like, I just want to pop in the microwave and be done with it. Just tell me what I need to do. But that's never the way it was intended to be. And so we're invited into this journey. We're invited into this, this, this story that God's been writing. And, and so I'm going to start off by reading a passage from 1 Corinthians 3. Um, if you do have your Bibles, you can open it up. We're just going to briefly look at this. Um, but it's 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4. Okay, so this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. Okay, and he says, Brothers and sisters, I would not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people... That's kind of ironic because we are talking a lot and singing a lot about the Spirit. Um, but as people who are still worldly, 
mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. You are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So let me just, like, I'm going to try to paraphrase this as quickly as possible. What Paul's talking about when he talks about spiritual milk and spiritual um, solid food or spiritual meat, some of you guys might have that in your in your translation, is that, that the spiritual milk that he's talking about are, are basic Christian truths. Okay? The things that you would look at and be like, okay, yes, Jesus was the Son of God. Like, he came, he died for us, he was, he was raised from the dead three days later, and he's made a way for us to, to be in right relationship with God. Or, or that there's a, a certain structure to the church, and that there's church fathers and church people that have different gifts and so forth. But, like, it's very basic. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. So he's saying, when I came to you first off, when you were infants in Christ, I couldn't give you solid food, so I gave you milk. And then he said, but you aren't even at the place yet where I can give you solid food. So, so what is this solid food that he's talking about, the solid spiritual food that he's talking about? Well, he's talking about deeper understanding of not only the basic truths of Christianity, but in the deeper understanding of God's narrative and the way that he's calling those specific individuals into a greater story. And so that takes a lot of effort, a whole lot of effort. It does not take a whole lot of effort for you to come here and me to come up and give you a little bottle. And, okay? No. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, okay. It doesn't take you any effort. Like, yes, I, I love the fact that you guys are showing up here. That's great. Like, that's better than you just doing whatever tonight. So, so I appreciate you guys being here. But, but I'm not naive enough to, to not understand that, hey, man, if I come and I can just kind of force myself to sit there for 30 minutes, then Jonathan will shut up and then I'll get to hang out with my friends again. Some of you guys can't even make it that long. It's, it's easy. Now, as a spiritual infant, as, as a young Christian, that makes complete sense. Makes complete sense. You would not set a plate of food in front of an infant and say, okay, here's forks and knives, go for it. You wouldn't do that physically, like in a literal sense. You would not do that to an infant. In the same way, Paul is saying, hey, when you were an infant in Christ, like I gave you milk, like I gave you the simple truths. But there comes a time when you gotta move past that. You gotta move into the depths of God's truth and you gotta, you gotta digest it yourself. You can't have me, Paul, showing up every time, bringing bottles for everybody. Like, I wanna come and I want to, to show you the depths and the beauty of the truth that, that we have in Christ Jesus and what that means for you guys as individuals. So, it would make sense to not place a plate of food in front of an infant, but that infant grows up and it would not make any sense. In fact, you guys would be made fun of if you showed up to school today and your parents decided, well, it's just going to be too difficult for them to use the silverware, so we're just going to keep them on the bottle. <laughs> right? I mean, that would be ridiculous. Yet, don't we do that oftentimes in the church? Right? Okay, I mean, like... We live in a culture where we consume things and we judge them and we're like, well, you know what? I like this product instead, so I'm going to buy this Colgate instead of Crest. Right? You're, you're coming out of the womb, like, like purchasing things. Like your parents probably shopped the hospital that you were born in. I'm not kidding. That is the, the culture that we live in. 
And, and if we aren't careful, that bleeds into the way that we see God, the way that we see the church. And we come to church and we think, hey, you know what? This is just another thing that I consume. It should entertain me. If it doesn't entertain me, then, you know, I can pick a different church that's a little bit more flashy. Or, hey, I should like feel something spiritual at church. And if I don't feel something spiritual, then there's something wrong with that teacher. Right? I mean, who in here can relate with that? I, I'm going to be honest. I can. Like even now, I'm 31 years old. I'm still, I still can relate with that. That I come in and my immediate mode is consumer. But the, the story that God's inviting us into is so much bigger than that. And praise God, it is. It's so honoring to us as human beings that God is saying, no, this is not just about you coming in and getting bottle fed. This is about you coming in and digesting the deep truths of my word and understanding what it looks like to apply those in your life so that you can become an agent of my kingdom regardless of where you're at, whether you're at church, at school, at home, at work, and so forth. That is an awesome thing that he's inviting us into. But here's the reality. Okay, don't, don't miss me. Don't, don't miss this. This is the reality. So often, like, we are malnourished spiritually. And then we enter in to where, where life just like, like, it's just hard and people are telling us all these sort, all these different stuff and like, like, you know, like our parents are fighting or whatever, like things just get really hard really quickly and then we come in there and we wonder why God's not coming through for us when in reality, oftentimes it's because I'm so malnourished spiritually that I don't even know how to connect with Him in those moments because I think that God's there to serve me instead of me in those moments of suffering or me in those moments of difficulty saying no, like there is a, a foundation of, of, of deep doctrine and truth that I can stand on in the midst of this and it doesn't make it go away. That's the beauty of it is I can enter into it, doesn't, don't have to deny it, don't have to, to, to make it go away, but I can, I can experience God's presence even in the midst of these difficulties. But if I'm not nourished and rooted and grounded in Him and His truth, then of course I'm going to be swayed to and fro like a wave in the ocean. Of course. Okay. So, so we weren't intended to stay on spiritual milk. It's okay to be on spiritual milk for a while, but we weren't intended for that. So, what does it look like to move from spiritual milk to eating solid, hard, sustainable truth in the Word of God? Okay, so you weren't meant to be on spiritual milk. Um, we are called to maturity through eating spiritual meat. Um, and Bible study is one major way that we do this. So this is the reason that we're talking about this tonight is because, like, man, I'm getting hot up here. Um, Okay, I know, but now I've got the microphone connected to it and everything. Okay, uh, anyways, we get, we're talking about how the Bible has, has been transmitted to us and translated to us, but now we're going to talk about what it looks like to actually open up our English Bibles and to study the Word of God. So often, people are wondering, okay, what does it look like to have a devotional? What does it look like to study the Word of God? I should just leave that to the preachers because they're the really smart ones and they've been to school and so forth. But... Like, if, if, if I take that stance, then again, what I'm doing is I'm coming in and expecting somebody else to digest it for me and, and distill it down into a little pill or like a little bit of milk, and I'm thinking that that's going to sustain me. It's not going to sustain me, okay? So, the Bible study um, and studying, like studying the Word of God is what is one portion of, of many things that we can do in order to digest the, the spiritual meat that Paul is talking about. So, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, um, I've already said that, Bible study uh, is not meant to be easy. Um, and then uh, tonight we're going to talk about uh, steps to Bible study, okay? So, um, 
it's 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 helpful to view Bible study as a journey. The reason I played uh, the the uh, the National Treasure at the beginning um, is because it is very much a journey. It is very much a journey. You cannot read this passively and expect to get a whole whole lot out of it. You can't read this passively because you don't understand the culture. I don't either. This is 2,000, 4,000 plus years removed from us. We can't read that passively. There are some very clear passages where it's like, okay, I don't have to know anything about biblical times and I can enter into them and they're very clear. Like the Ten Commandments, for instance. Very clear. Okay? Like straightforward. It doesn't matter if you're in a different culture. But there's a lot of it that's like so, so different that if I just enter into it, of course I'm going to be confused and of course I'm just going to be like, well, what's the point? Right? But that's, that, that's what we're talking about. So, it, so it's moving from that position to a position of, no, like, I'm going to study this. Like, I'm going to enter into this. I'm going to let this grind against, like, every part of my soul. And I'm going to, to learn what I need to learn in order for it to sink deeply into my heart and touch my life in such a way where I'm forever changed by it. So, um, to think of Bible study as a journey, uh, is helpful and it takes discipline, courage, curiosity, humility, and love of God first and foremost because it is His Word. Okay? So tonight, um, we're going to talk about five steps and five questions. Okay, I'm going to make this really quick or as quick as I can, but five steps and five questions. So, if you guys look at the um, sheet that I printed off here, I got this picture from uh, Grasping God's Word, which is a book that was written by Scott Duvall and some other guy. Um, but this is, this is uh, helpful when, especially for me being a visual person, like it's really helpful because it's like they break it down into, okay, so here's the step, here's the journey and the steps taken in the journey of biblical interpretation. So, so when I say biblical interpretation, what do you guys think about? Yes? Someone sitting down and interpreting what they think of the Bible. Okay. Okay. The Bible. You think of the Bible. Great. Okay, so somebody sits down um, and they interpret. So what is interpreting? Rephrasing, yeah. So, like, if you were to, like, go to a foreign country, you would have an interpreter, okay? And that interpreter would know both languages, and and they would speak both, like, Spanish and English, and so they would interpret for you. In the same sense, when we enter into Scripture, in so many ways, that culture is so different. In fact, the you, you guys learned this last week, that it was, like, the, the earliest um, Scriptures that we have were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So, literally written in a different... Um, language, we're entering into a different culture, different customs, and so forth. So we're entering in, and we need to learn how to interpret those things properly. Because if we don't learn how to interpret those things properly, even though it's difficult to interpret them properly, then not only do we, if we don't disengage, then oftentimes we'll come to very faulty understandings of Scripture, pull things out of context, and so forth. But most often, that's not the case. Most often, it's, it's that, hey, I can't interpret this, I can't understand this, so I'm just not going to do it. That's most often where we land. So we're going to talk about five steps, five practical steps. Um, and that picture there, you'll see that there's a one, two, three, four, and five. So those represent the five steps, and we're going to kind of go into detail about what each of those are, okay? So step one. Okay, I, okay, let me, let me be real clear with you guys. Well, actually, you guys can write down first. So, grasping the text in their town. And the question that we have in this step of interpretation 
is what did the text mean to the biblical audience? Okay, so what did the text mean to the biblical audience? This is so stinking important. Okay, context, context, context. Context. (laughs) Context. Okay. It's super, super important. You have, you have seen people pull scripture out of context, which what I mean by that is like, when you look at a scripture, you kind of need to read what's around it and understand what's going on before you just jump to a really quick conclusion. There are a lot of people that have abused scripture and, and come to all sorts of just just really um, heretical understandings of certain passages because they forget about the context. They don't care about the context because they want their interpretation to be their interpretation, so they just forget it. I'm not going to worry about the context. See here? And they'll pull it out and throw one verse in your face, and they'll say, that's what that means. And of course, it sounds that way, but if you were to read in the context around it, it it makes sense of that verse. And if if you don't have the context, then then it's just... Like, you can come to some faulty understandings, okay? So we talk about this all the time down here, especially on Sunday mornings, about remembering the context, remembering the context, remembering the context. So part of the context, the first place that we start in that is in their hometown. So 2,000 years ago, plus, like, this, this book was written to people that weren't in 21st century America. Go figure. I know, right? Really surprising, Okay. It was written to people in a culture that was completely different. It was written to people in a culture that like, like for us, it just, a lot of times there's so much disconnect, right? And if I forget that and I think that scripture is just written to me and I just immediately interpret it without even taking into context or taking into consideration the context, then again, oftentimes I've already short-circuited the Bible study. I just jump directly to the application. That's the last step. But I say, well, I should know, I pretty much know what this says. But in reality, if I don't understand the context, then I really can't come to a really solid understanding of how I am to apply it to my life. You guys following me here? Okay, so how do we do that? All right, so so you read the passage carefully. Carefully. Okay, so you know how down here on Sunday mornings, a lot of times we'll read and we'll read it multiple times? Kind of like that, where we read it multiple times and we're looking at, okay, why did John or Jesus or whoever's writing, whoever's speaking, why is it that they said it that way? Why is it that they repeat those words? Like, like, what is the point of this being in this part right here? Why in the world did this happen right after this? Like, what was the point that John had in putting this passage right after this? Especially when it's not chronological. Like, there was a reason. And the reason is connected to John was writing to a specific audience. And that specific audience had a one-up on us because they were closer to the situation. So he was writing it and it probably had an impact on them in a much quicker way than it does for us because they understood why he would, why that would be such a significant thing. You guys following me here? Okay, so you see how we can miss that because in our culture we might not get it. We don't understand, like you might understand sort of like the Sabbath and stuff, but you might not really understand the depths of like why that was so important that Jesus healed on the Sabbath and so forth. And especially if we just fast forward it to the application part. Well, Jesus healed a woman on the Sabbath. Big whoop. Application. What, what it was this have to say to me? But in that, like, okay, I'm, I'm passionate about this because this is so important. 
in that, like I am using Scripture instead of allowing Scripture to read me, allowing Scripture to touch me and to transform me and to change me. I'm trying to squeeze Scripture into what I want it to be instead of what Scripture actually is. And initially, it was written to an audience 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. So I got to get in the mindset, okay? So it's like National Treasure, like like he's kind of getting the mindset of these these forefathers that you know put all these clues and everything. Like he's getting in their mindset. He's understanding that they put those clues in there for a reason, and he's investigating and saying like, why is that? Like, what is it about that? And and and, and that gives him more understanding, so he can understand and interpret what all those clues actually mean. In the same way, when we study the Word of God, if I keep in in mind that context, then I can. Um, I can understand and decipher like what that actually meant. Why was that significant? Who were these Corinthians? And we just read part of a letter to the Corinthians. Who in the world are the Corinthians? Where was Corinth? Like, why was Paul... I know. Why was Paul... And good for you. Why was Paul writing to Corinth? How did he... How it, what, was he relate, what was his relation to Corinth? Like, these are the questions that will help to shine light on why he was writing what he was writing and in the way that he was writing it to them. Does that make sense? So that's the initial thing. We're figuring out what it meant to them, the original biblical audience. This uh, past Sunday we talked about Revelation and how there was an original audience to that. So we have to keep in mind our interpretive journey starts with them, not us, them. It's going to get to us, and you'll see that. So the question, what did the text mean um, to the biblical audience? So step two. Measuring the width of the rivered cross. Okay, so there's a chasm, right? And we've I've said it multiple times. 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years. A chasm between us, you, right here, and last Cassis, Tennessee, in 2017. <laughs> 2017, I knew I was going to get that wrong. 2017, there's a massive chasm between you and Abraham. Anybody in here um, wander around and like raise flocks and move tents um, and 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 God's called you to a foreign land that you don't even know about? Anybody in here is that your regular um, experience? Dude, you got to add some. Take your ten-year-old, your eleven-year-old son to be sacrificed on the mountain. Yeah. Okay. So, is that anybody's experience? No. Yes. Real quick. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that's not our experience. Who in here is their experience? Um, even like, let's move it. Let's move it up. So that's that's you know three thousand, four thousand years ago. Let's move it up um, to uh, to Jesus's time. Who in here is their experience being underneath Roman rule, and and you're an oppressed people who're paying taxes to Caesar, and and you're from the Jewish nation, okay, of Israel, and 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 that that's your reality. Who in here? Nobody. Okay. So there's chasms, right? And then we can move on and on and on. Like there's massive chasms between us and them. So when we talk about measuring the width of the river, we're talking about figuring out the differences between Abraham and his time and our time. What's different about Jesus' time or whatever passage you're looking at specifically? What is different in their context than our context? That's important because it gives us insight into their context. It gives us insight into, okay, so when I'm interpreting what God means in this, like, I need a really good understanding of what's going on back then. So, I'm asking questions like, what are the cultural differences? What, what, are, what are the cultural differences? Well, hello, who in here has, has lived in a culture where you have to bring 
sacrifices, animals, your pets, to be sacrificed. Who in here? Let's hope that nobody raises their hand. Okay. Okay, Drew, maybe. I could believe that, okay? All right. That's not our context. But that's the Old Testament context, right? So when you read things in the Old Testament that sound really funny and weird, we got to understand, okay, so there's a cultural difference here. Of course there is. There's a covenant difference here. We're living post-Jesus Christ, post-cross. That has changed everything. So when I'm looking at the Old Testament, i got to keep in mind, hey, yo, like Jesus hasn't come yet. Like they're still sacrificing animals. Like it makes sense to them to bring pigeons and tear them in half and all that stuff. Like it makes sense, right? And back then it did. See, that's the thing. Like, of course, from our perspective, no, that doesn't make sense. But from their perspective, yes, it made complete sense that there needed to be a blood sacrifice in order to atone for their, their sins. So I'm asking things like, okay, so what is it? Why is it that this person's bringing that thing? Or why is it that this person's doing that? I'm asking questions about language and, and why they say what they're saying, like in, in, in the way that they're saying it. I'm asking things like, like the time period. Like any, anybody know when, when um, Moses lived? Okay, do you know the context around Moses? Do you understand like, like what kingdoms were, were, were existent during Moses' time? Okay, so this is, you see how I'm building the picture? Like I'm, I'm, I'm asking questions, bigger questions than just like, well, what does this mean to me? Okay? It's not that that's bad, but if, I, if, I'm, if I'm trying to digest the depths of his truth and I'm, I'm dissecting it and like looking at it and saying, okay, so, so like, was this during the Babylonians? Like, who were the Babylonians? Oh my goodness. It was the people on 300. Like, like now I can understand, right? Like it's crazy. Or the Persians. I don't know which one it was. But anyways, it doesn't really matter. What it, My point is, is to build that context, okay? Um, and then the specific situation. So the question is, what are the differences between the biblical audience and us? Okay, so that's step two. Any questions about step two? No? Okay, great. So we're going to move to step three. All right, step three. So now that we've... Assess the chasm, assess how wide the river is, how different their town is to our town over here. Then we can begin to build the bridge. We can't start building the bridge between us now in 2017 and them then in 4000 BC until we know how much we're going to have to build. Until we understand at least to some degree like, okay, they're like, like the Old Testament covenant, like, like it's, I got to build a big bridge over there. Okay? And so, so we ask the question, what is the theological principle in the text? Now, this is super cool, okay? So this is really, really helpful. Okay, so we've already assessed what the differences are. So then we've got to find kind of like what, what's maybe a similarity that we have. What are these theological principles that are communicated in the text that are timeless, that are culturalist, that, don't, don't, that culture doesn't dictate? There are truths in Scripture that you can read, like these things in the Old Testament that like are totally like uh, um, confusing, and there's still theological truth. You know what I mean by that, right? Like truth about God, truth about us in relation to Him, truth about how we engage in His His um, His story. These types of truths sometimes they're really clear. Okay, it's easier to build a bridge. Sometimes it is so hard to find a bridge. And, and yet, like, like there are truths that, that are timeless. So that it would be true for them, even though their cultural context, their context, the original context is very different than ours, it's just as true for us. You guys following me? 
Okay, so we're searching in this one for, okay, what are those timeless truths? What are those things that God is revealing about Himself that, that, that makes sense then and makes sense now? I gotta understand at least a little bit about their context to understand, okay, how do I build that bridge? What is true to them and true to me? You guys following me? Okay. Alright, so, um, it's timeless, uh, and um, it's not bound by culture, and it's re- relevant both to the biblical audience and the contemporary audience. Okay, so we're building the bridge, and I don't understand. They use this term. I actually put it in the um, computer, and I was like, "It's like this is." I think they just made this term up, but you can do that when you're smart. You can just make up a term, and then people are like, "Oh, that's great." Um, but principalizing—it's not really a word, I don't think. But principalizing bridge. Okay, so these principles that are timeless that um, aren't affected by culture. Okay, so. Um, so that's step three, and the question we ask is, what is the theological principle in this text? Principalizing. Yeah, it's hard. It's not even principle. Anyways, you can see it on you can see it on your sheet. So yeah, it's a, it's probably some really cool theological word that I don't know. No, we are not going to sear it. We're going to continue to plow forward because we're running out of time. Okay, you guys with me? Yeah. All right. So step four and question four. Consult the biblical map. Consult the biblical map. So, we started our journey over in their town. Okay? We're traipsing along. Okay, okay, well that makes sense. Like, I understand kind of the cultural context. I understand kind of who these people were, sort of. I'm not them, but I'm kind of understanding because, like, I'm building the historical context. Traipsing along. Oh man, there's a river here. Like, how wide is this river? Like, okay, now i got to start figuring out... There's a bug on the stage. i got to start figuring out... Um, how to build the bridge from our context way out here in their context now that I have a little bit of understanding. So I've built the bridge that is true for them and true for us met in the middle. Okay, And now I'm walking over the bridge. I've had these, these concepts and these principles okay, that, that are being shown through the text that I'm studying. And then I've got to consult the biblical map. So what does this mean? The question that we ask is how does our theological principle fit with the rest of the Bible? This is super important, okay? Because there's the context that we're talking about that's in the text, or there's the historical context that we're talking about, but there's a big, big meta narrative context through Scripture, God's narrative. So if I'm coming to some wacky understanding theologically that maybe in some crazy way makes sense both in the way that I'm interpreting this Scripture and also here in 2017, but it doesn't fit the, the theological, um, uh, a bend of scripture itself, then I am mistaken. I gotta go back to the drawing boards. What am I missing here? Like, we have to check it with the entire context of scripture. And something that's really important, guys, um, or something that might be really helpful, like, okay, so there's tons of stuff out there that you can look at and like see like really, really smart guys that, that talk about systematic theology. Okay? And, and, and you can look at that and you can say, okay, so, so basically they take a topic and they look at all of how Scripture um, paints like that theological topic. Okay? And so they put them all together and it's like, whoa, this is crazy cool. I would have never seen that because I'm not that smart. But now I can see that. So that's helpful for me when I'm interpreting a passage and I'm thinking to myself, well, I start thinking, well, maybe the Trinity was was actually three different people, or maybe the Trinity was created and, and, and that, that, um, uh, that there were angels, or maybe, you know, like this weird stuff, right? I can go back to um, systematic theology, or I can look at the narrative in the context of Scripture and see, no, that's not true. 
That's not true. It might seem that way, but that's not true because throughout Scripture, it shows that the Trinity is three in one Godhead. You guys follow me? Okay. All right. So it's important to consult the biblical map whenever you get to the point of saying, okay, here's some truths that are, I'm pulling out of this, okay, that are coming up to the surface. All right. So um, step five, and this is our final step, which is normally the step that a lot of people start at, unfortunately, and work their way backwards, is grasping the text in our town. Okay? And the question that we're asking is, how should the individual Christian today live out the theological principles that came to the surface as I was studying this passage? Okay. So it's important to remember that, that these applications are about as numerous as as the uniqueness of each individual in this room. So, so what I mean by that is that, that the, the theological truths and principles that have risen to the surface, those are unchanging. But the people in the context that those, those truths are interacting with, those people in those contexts, and they're, they're unique, and the way that we apply them is unique to our situation, to our place and time, to, to our families, and so forth. Right? This is why it's so important to not start from this perspective. Because if I start from this perspective, I have a really, really easy way of, of twisting Scripture to fit what I think is best. You see that in our culture, do you not? There are all sorts of people that will take Scripture out of context and also look at Scripture and say, well, this, this says that I can, um, I, I, can, I can do something that's completely outside of what Scripture calls me to. But you know what? That's the way that I interpret it. It's truth for me, Right? From my perspective, it seems that that would be the case because I can't understand how God would be wrathful towards that because of course He wouldn't be because I'm not. You see how messed up that is? And then we start reading our own like beliefs and, and principles into Scripture and then you can see how people get to a place where it's really warped and really misunderstanding what God is actually calling us to because we start here in our context instead of starting there in their context. Okay, you guys, you guys follow me? Okay. So that's why it's so important to start there. So we've taken this journey. We started with their context. We're moving through. We're looking at the river. Okay, there's a lot of difference between us, but now let's try to figure out what maybe is similar to build this theological bridge. We build a theological bridge. We come across. We look at the rest of Scripture to make sure that our theological bridge is sound and that, like, hey, we're going on the right track because if it doesn't line up with Scripture, the total, then... I'm probably off somewhere and I need to go back and try to figure that out. And if it lines up with all of Scripture, then I can move to applying it to my life, which is so powerful. Okay, oh my goodness, okay, don't miss me. Don't miss this. Like, I keep saying don't miss me. Miss me. No, I, I don't know what... I, I'm getting really excited about this because this is so stinking good, guys. Look. Oh, oh. If we even, like, in just a small way, understood the gravity and the impact that that process has on us as an individual living for God, then I, I cannot believe that we would not be in Scripture more. It is so powerful because when we go through that process, we have solid ground to stand on and say, no, like I know what Scripture says. I've, I've worked and I've, I've, I've cut the meat and like, like, like I've, I've chewed on it and I've savored it and I understand it and now I'm digesting it and it's becoming a part of who I am. It's profoundly impactful and transforming. That's what he's talking about in eating the spiritual meat. Like it's, it's huge. 
So then I can walk in and I have the nutrients to be able to stand in the midst of persecution and say, I believe because of what Scripture says and it is true. Not because of what Jonathan said. Not because of what Pastor Kenneth said. Not because of what my parents said. Not because I'm just trying to make everybody happy and live the nice Christian life. No. It's real to me. And that drives me back into His Word. Because I want more of it. Because it's good to my soul. And yet we are so apathetic, are we not? So sad that we, we starve ourselves spiritually because we don't want to pick up like the, the, the difficulty of studying the Word of God and actually digesting it and learning about it. We prefer just to consume that. Make it easy on us. Give me the one, two, three step, Jonathan. And yet we are selling ourselves so stinking short. And that's why like this makes me so like, like passionate is because like not only am I preaching to you guys and saying like, like get this, get this, get this. I'm saying it to myself too because I've tasted that. One of the reasons why Aaron and I feel called to this church and one of the reasons I feel called to doing what I'm doing is because I love the fact that I am forced I'm forced to study His Word so that I can bring a word to you guys or I can bring a word to the church. That's probably more transformational, ten times more transformational for me than it is for you guys. And I totally get that. But I count it an honor to be able to do that and actually have the ability to, to take time to be able to do that and then to bring a truth to you and say, this is what it is. This is what it is. And my flesh says, man, I just want to take a break. I don't want to continue to study. Like, I just want to, like, take a break. And yet God says, no, Jonathan, I've called you to teach. So get, go back to the Word. Study it more. And it's hard. Did I want to sit up and read about a bunch of theological stuff, like, all the time? There's times that I do. But a lot of times I'm like, this is, this is like working out. I don't want to do it. But yet when I do and I get done with it, I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord. Like, I'm so grateful that you counted me worthy to be able to do that. And I've become stronger emotionally and spiritually. I've become more, more um, uh, fortified against what, what the world will yell at me or what, what Satan will throw at me. I, I can stand and I can say, no, I've digested this. It's true. But if I stayed at the spiritual milk of, of Pastor Kenneth or of, of um, uh, Pastor Dean or of Chris Madison, you know, people in my life that have stood before me like I stand before you and I just stayed there, more than likely, I would, I would probably, well, not more than likely, I know without doubt, if I stayed at that stage, I would never have stood up here in front of you because I still would have been showing up to church thinking it was all about me. And all about what I got out of it as opposed to what I bring to God's story and how I take part in that and how He's invited me into that. It's, it's awesome. Okay. So, just as review, we started in their town. What's their original context? What does the Scriptures actually say? We're reading it carefully. We move to, okay, what's, what's the differences and similarities between our culture, their culture, their time, our time? Then we figure out, okay, what are the principalizing um, truths that, that, that are true both in their culture and our culture coming over onto our side? Okay, does that line up with the narrative of Scripture? 
what I've come to uh, to see in the scriptures. And yes, it is, so then I can move to applying it to my life. So here's the application, people. And Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up because I need to I need to stop because I'm starting to sweat and getting too fired up here. So the application is, which do you relate with more? Like tonight. Do you relate more with an infant that's being bottle fed and you're just going to eat whenever you want and not eat whenever you want? Just be like, you know, wishy-washy in the way that you study the Word of God. No big deal. Nah, it's not that big of a deal. Or are you like Nicolas Cage and his crew where you're hunting the deep and beautiful and awe-inspiring truths that are, that are displayed in God's inspired Word, in, in, in the Word that He shared with us? And, and are we seeing that as an adventure and, and as a, a thing that we embark upon out of curiosity and out of courage? Or are we just sitting back and saying, ah, no big deal, no big deal. I'm just going to continue to drink the milk. So, you've been given the map. So, so now, this is just one way to study the Word, okay? So it's not like the end-all, be-all, all right? But this is one really good um, process to studying and, and diving into the depths of Scripture. So you've been given the map. been given the treasure map. So now the question is, is it's your choice whether you're going to enter in to the cultures of Scripture, into the mysteries of Scripture, and to, to, to wrestle with that and allow God to transform you through it. I pray and I hope, oh my goodness, I pray and I hope that, that in this student ministry that we will be in love with His Word. Because quite frankly, I'm just being real, I think a lot of times we're apathetic in here. And it saddens my heart because I know that there's so much more that He has for you guys. You've been given a map. Why not enter into it? Be courageous enough to do that. And I guarantee you that God will meet you there and He will continue to transform your life in ways that you never thought were possible.